Calling all conscious achievers who are seeking more community and connection, I've got an invitation for you. Join me at this year's Summit of Greatness this September 7th through 9th in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio to unleash your true greatness. This is the one time a year that I gather the greatness community together in person for a powerful transformative weekend. People come from all over the world and you can expect to hear from inspiring speakers like Inky Johnson, Jaspreet Singh, Vanessa Van Edwards, Jen Sincero, and many more. You'll also be able to dance your heart out to live music, get your body moving with group workouts, and connect with others at our evening socials. So if you're ready to learn, heal, and grow alongside other incredible individuals in the greatness community, then you can learn more at lewishouse.com slash summit 2023. Make sure to grab your ticket, invite your friends, and I'll see you there. I don't think confidence has to be part of it. Belief is important for sure. Believing more because it just helps you have the courage to try. And that's the most important thing if we're really getting down to the nitty gritty is just having the courage to try despite the, the chance that you might fail. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. What is the Olympics like? Was that the dream for you growing up? No. I'm well, there was a part of my dream. Um I did like I had a little notebook when I was younger that was like, I wanna I'm gonna be Olympic champion. I think it was that something was like I I'm gonna be the youngest Olympic gold medalist in history. And that actually did happen. But <laughs> 15, 15, 16, how old uh, I was I was 18. 18. 18. I was the youngest swallow gold medalist. Sure. So there's an asterisk on that. But um, that was one thing I wrote like in a journal, but really mostly my goals had nothing to do with the Olympics. Like my goal was always, I want to be the best skier in the world. I always looked up to Bodie Miller yeah. as my big idol. And I, he was like, at the time, you know, he won the overall globe. He was winning individual races. He was like, and he was inspiring people. And one of my favorite movies of all time was his documentary flying downhill, which is like, I don't even know. I, I don't know if you can buy it somewhere now like I don't I would literally want to go back and watch it again but I'm not really sure where to find it because I had it on the DVD and I don't like have a way to play it anymore but that was like my most inspiring he really inspired me to truly be want to be a ski racer really he's like the reason I identified myself at eight years old 
as a ski racer and I just did you watch him on TV or in the Olympics yeah, or where did you see him? I watched him on TV. I watched him on. We had uh, we would get these DVDs every year. It's called like World Cup winning runs, and it's you know it's produced by U.S. Ski and Snowboard, sure. and it's like the the crazy ski fanatics like whatever like your how to videos and things like that. But it was just a compilation of all the season's best winning runs, and my parents used to get those DVDs. And I would watch them and it was like all Bodie's runs and <laughs> just amazing. And then, you know, during the Olympics as well. And But it wasn't, I think maybe what helped me sort of steer away from having the big, big Olympic dream was actually seeing some of what he experienced through the Olympics. And what was he, that? Had the, he had great, great successes. He got the medals and everything. And, and he also had like the terrible olympics that like i wish i could i wish i could have gotten into his mind and known what was going on for him at the time if it was about pressure if it was about this or that or if he just didn't really care because he was the kind of athlete who's like i don't care about the one medal i like i want to experience whatever it is that feels fulfilling in that moment and it might not be winning the olympic medal it might be like just experiencing the Olympic like scene in a different way and people always have an opinion and judge it and get right into it and um, I saw that as a child as a child and I was like I don't want to ever have to deal with something like that like do your thing why do people have to have an opinion about it right and the opinion itself is like adds pressure and that makes it harder I feel like that sort of watching him go through the the successes he had and the challenges that he faced gave me some insight into like my own philosophy and what I find important in skiing which is it's literally just about like it's so it's kind of so boring but it's just about the turn and making really good turns interesting so it's like it's when like you that. talk about the process and stuff and I know that gets I feel like in sports people really really want to hear about like your goals that you want to be the greatest of all time, like the Michael Jordan story, like the, I know you're going to be NBA champion. Like you're going to do this. You're going to be the greatest and all of the hype and the pressure is built up. And then he does it. And it's like greater than, and I've always been like, I don't think I'm going to do any of this. I really just want to be a very good skier and ski well and ski fast. And maybe someday I can kind of be the best in the world. And if I can do that, maybe I'll hold on to it. And now it's been like 12 years of racing World Cup where I've been more or less at the top level. And it's still like, I'm still in disbelief, but I still, I always still go back to the days watching like my greatest idols, like Bodie Miller and Yanitza Koslich and Anya Pearson and all of these, these athletes that I looked up to. And I don't know, it's just like, you see the struggle that they have and you see it from an outsider's perspective. And then now having gone through a lot of that and seeing it from the insider's perspective, we all feel it and experience it differently. But feel what the pressure, the, the pressure or the failure or the success, whatever it is, like everybody's inspired by something different. So some athletes, there's some athletes out there who literally can win races just because they want to be they just want to win it. Like just thinking, I want to win this race gives them the right mindset and the right intensity that they just they do they win it 
And when I think I want to win, I never win. Really? If, <laughs> never, ever. If I'm thinking about- But you about, rarely lose. Yeah. If I'm thinking about winning, I will not win the race. Come it's on. happened. It's almost like 100% of the time. So what do you need to think I about? I have to think about like the intensity of my skiing or- like I have to think about racing the course versus winning. It always has to be like what's happening between the start and the finish line, not what's going to happen after the finish. Wow. And that's, I don't know, it's kind of, it's a little bit, I feel like it's a little bit corny, but it's so, it's like you gotta without focus on, fail. You got to focus on the next turn. Yeah, the next turn. Like the process of getting to the finish that what is what allows you to win the race. And I, that's, that's where my mindset has to be. What do you struggle with managing more? Overcoming failure or having all the success? Oh, I mean, I feel like it's been, I've gone through phases. I mean, I'm only 28, but I, I have gone, like I could sum my career up so far in different phases. In the beginning, it was, it was almost like there wasn't pressure. I didn't really have, I had success pretty early, but it was always like, this is so surreal. I wonder if it's even real. It might be a dream. Because you're the young one on the circuit. Yeah, I'm young and, and people keep expecting to it to not happen. I kept exceeding expectations and my expectations were so high. I didn't care about anybody else's. And and then, the, you know, that's like the first three to four years of my career. And then I started to, like, then I had my first season where I sort of, I did struggle and I struggled a little bit more um, like finding the fine tuning of my ski equipment and different things. And my first struggles with my coach at that time. And uh, like when things weren't really clicking, I was, I might be the luckiest ski racer of all time that I got that things clicked for me earlier than they do for most other athletes. I feel like that's really important is you have to, you have to click with the equipment you have. You have to click with the coaches you have. People have to be on the same page and the same mindset and the same goals. And for the first three, four years of my career, I had that. I almost, like, I almost didn't have to try. Grant, like, part of that was because my mom traveled with me as one of my coaches as well. And she, like, she fought battles for me. She helped to make it click. But, um, and she still does. But that, like... There's so many of these different variables that have to go into place, fall into place, or I don't know, be forced into place. That goes beyond just making good turns. And then when that came down to my job, which was literally just making good turns, I could do it. And so then I started having success early on. And it was just like, people were like, this is not real. This can't keep happening. And then it did. And then it was like, everybody caught up. And the, the media and public and just everybody watching caught up to, it was, it was this season I had, I actually got injured, but, um, what I was out, it was 2015, um, 2000, the 2014, 2015, no. yeah, 2014, 2015 season. And I got injured like December, 2014. And then. I came back February 2015. So I was like out for a good chunk of the season, but I had an MCL strain and a tibial plateau fracture um, and then a bone bruise, which was probably the thing that like ends up holding everybody back the longest. There's surprisingly little research on bone bruising, <laughs> but anyway, that's a totally different topic. Um, so when I came back to skiing, I kind of focused more on just slalom. But that season was insane because I, I started out the season in October. 
And the first two races of the season were these two slaloms um, in Aspen. And I, I won, I, that was, I reset the record for the great, the largest margin of victory in a World Cup. How many seconds? It was three, over three seconds, which is like, I mean, we, we win races, lose races by literally one hundredth of a second. And that's typical time differences. Two tenths, three tenths is big. Five tenths is like insurmountable. And then if you're getting over that, like people dream of winning a race by maybe a second. Wow. And I won this race by three seconds. I was like, I don't really, I don't know what just happened. After no, an injury. That was before the injury. Okay, I was so say. then it was the next race series that we went to where I got injured. And then when I came back um, in February, I kind of focused on just the solemn races for the rest of the season. I did some giant solemn races, but it was just like mostly focused on solemn. And I think my average, it was like my average time margin of victory for the whole season was over two seconds. Oh, so every goodness. pretty much every single race besides one, I... I won by over two seconds. That's crazy. And then the one race was my comeback race. It was five tenths or something. And that that season is like the worst thing that happened to me because it set everyone's expectations that I was now going to win every race by over two seconds for the rest of my career. So I came back the next season or, you know, when finished the season, you have your summer period training, blah, blah, blah. First race of the season was in fin- Finland for 2015-16. And I won it by seven tenths six tenths of a second oh, she's slowing down yeah yes that's what everyone was like are know. you worried the competition's getting so much better are you getting worse and it was this whole it was a weird weird thing where i'd never i never experienced a victory where people put such a negative spin on it and that was that like then set me into the next phase of my career which was a lot of like performance anxiety really and it all surrounded around like what media would say and what people around me would say and not the closest people but even then like even those closest to me would be like oh it'd be so great if you could just like stomp on this race like if you could win it by a second too so like we want to get back there and and i get it i just was like i don't you're doing think, the best you can do. I'm doing the best I can. I don't think we're there. Like, I actually think the competition is much stronger. And what, like, that happened. That was a moment in time or a season in time. And I don't think we're going to be in a place where I win races by two seconds anymore. And, but that expectation that then lasted, it's like a four, it's like a four to five year delay, like, took people four to five years to catch up to the expectations I set in the beginning of my career. And then it took them four to five years to figure out that that might not be the, what's going to happen all the time. It's just, it was just weird. So there's this phase where I was puking at the start of every really? race. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, terrible. Every race? Almost every race. Um, just because of anxiety, Because of anxiety. Was it more worried about what the people closest to you were going to say, what the no, media were going to say. It what? was media. It was like fear of fear of losing, more just fear of what disappointment comes when you 
don't exceed the expectations. I'd been really used to kind of exceeding people's expectations. And then and then it was like, I'm still winning, but just winning alone isn't good enough anymore. I actually have to win by more. And if I'm going to exceed people's expectations, now I need to make winning by two seconds, three seconds, a regular thing. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, it is and it isn't. It sort of, it's so much that it's like, it's not realistic. And I knew it at the time, but I didn't know how to explain that. And it just, like, it's taken me a long time to get the point net to to this point now where I just realized that people will catch up and I also realized like during that period of time you know after every race we go through the mix zone and there's go through all the media and I felt like the media was directing questions in a very negative way if I didn't win by a certain amount or if I had a really like strong reaction one race they were like why is this one so much more important to you and and those are all fair questions. My mind would go there if I was them as well. But I would really answer, I would take their question so literally and answer to that. And now I realize people still do that. They kind of try to get into your mind and they say, they ask a question, but it insinuates that you feel a certain way instead of just asking how you feel. Well, sometimes, and it, there's nothing wrong with it. Honestly, it's just like if you ask the same question over and over, you want to word it a different way. And sometimes, sometimes a reporter might ask like, you know, is it really disappointing that you came in second this race? This was, this was, um, this season when it was the 85th, the, we okay. So there were two slalom races in a row in the Czech Republic. And I won the first one. That was my 85th victory. And then the second day, everybody was thinking this is going to be your 86th. And it, for like for everyone around me, it was a done deal, and I was not there. And mentally, emotionally, you mentally, were just emotionally, I was just I was tired. It was a yeah. really, really long stretch of races. I raced seven day, seven races in ten days, and with travel like literally across Europe. It's and just it as was much just, emotionally draining as it is physically, yeah, because you have to prob- mentally and emotionally prepare. Yeah, for hours before every race. Racing is probably more mentally and emotionally draining. Physically, you're prepared for really whatever can yeah. get. But You've been then training they all, so hard. Yeah. Into it, yeah. And then they all just get intertwined. And then you're like, why don't my muscles work anymore? I just, and sometimes all I need is just one day, one recovery day. And then I'm literally back to it. But I just. Back to back was tough. Yeah. yeah the ba- those back to back races. This was, this was the last race series before world championships this season. And I was like on a low, just drained. But. But I was having a good time. I loved racing. I I won the first run of the second race, and I was in, so I was went last in the second run. I was in the lead the whole way down, and I lost the lead in the last part of the course. And I I lost the race by seven hundredths of a second or something like that. To um, one of the my, Lena Dura, a competitor who is an amazing human. Like she dessert she skied so well. She's she's been. It's she was on the podium for like some of my very, very first podiums of my career. And she struggled and then had injuries. She's come back like she deserved it. And I didn't have any questions about that. But for sure, people were thinking this could have been 86. Like this would have been the record matching performance. And you could have done it here 
at the scene of your very first World Cup race when you were 15 years old, like it would have been fateful. The whole thing. It was all of this, the puzzle piece. It was all fitting together. Oh, and pressure, then it didn't yeah. happen. Right. And I I was like, people were asking this. It was like, I am so excited for Lena. I mean, I get it. It's not 86. Okay. What did like whatever? But I'm so happy for her. And I'm so excited about my race yesterday. And I'm actually really happy about how I skied most of it today. And I'm looking forward to work. Like, I started to use this this kind of positive reframing of the questions about how I really felt. And the it was, like, wild how the, the mood around me shifted from being, like, walking on eggshells. Is she disappointed? What's going to happen? You know, is she going to cry? Is she going to throw a fit? I'm like, um, I'm good. Right. And everybody was like, oh, okay, we can celebrate the second place too? That's cool. And I, I just realized how much more control I have than I ever knew before of like the closest people around me and their moods. I can help them like I can help them feel okay if if I don't win a race they feel like it's their fault because they didn't do the work they did to prepare me but sometimes it's not on them sometimes it's just like the factors don't come together in the right way and the other athletes skied better and like it took a long time for me to realize that it wasn't it's not just me disappointing them it's also they're afraid of disappointing me and it goes the co- like the coaches want to do their best they want to see me win because they care some people want to see me lose because they're sick of seeing me win. And that's like, there's this whole dynamic, this whole like culture in there. And you have to really, you have to kind of figure out how to separate those things, I yeah. guess. Wow. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host spectrum one is a big deal you get spectrum internet with the most reliable internet speeds free advanced wi-fi for enhanced security and privacy and a free spectrum mobile unlimited line with nationwide 5g included all while saving big for the big speed big reliability and big savings you want get spectrum one just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Speaking of coaching, where would you be without great coaching in your career and in your life? Nowhere. I mean, not yeah. No, my whole life is like, I've been really lucky with my coaches. Starting off with my parents, my first coaches in my life they both taught me how to ski and like I said my mom she's been my coach since I was since I learned how to ski but she traveled with me my first year in the world cup she still travels with me now and she is like people have a bit of a misunderstanding because they think that it's like a frustrating thing for her and for me (laughs) people go up to her and be like when are you going to stop following Michaela around like 
What do you do all day when she's skiing? Like she's on the hill. She's setting, she's helping set the courses. She sets some of the courses herself. She videos. She's like pulling fence, setting fence. She does, she's literally just, she's a ski coach. She's just employed by me, not the US ski team. Right. So people like have a hard time wrapping their heads around it. And some of her friends even will be like, come on, like come hang out with me more. Michaela's fine. And they don't realize how much of an impact she has on my career and like my mental stability and just being able to exist in Europe for six or seven months at a time without being home, without being like, I'm fairly familiar with most of Europe, Europe now, but you're still not home. Right. You know? Right, right. And that's something like trying to like inception people's minds. <laughs> they get sure, it. So sure. they stop asking her those questions because she's like, oh, there's nothing like everyone around you making you feel like you're completely inconsequential and someone is like in your daughter's career. And who is she to say that she's like important, but I'm the one who says it. And it's like, oh, wow. Anyway, so. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a very important coach. So what's the biggest lesson your your mom has taught you? Okay, there's a lot. And this might not be the actually most important lesson, but pretty early on, she and my dad um, kind of set this philosophy that, like, things are worth doing. I don't know how to put this. It's more fun to do things if you can do them well. And there's a way to do them well so that it's fun and it's comes with like a methodical approach and studying and learning and this could be with school it could be like math is more fun when you understand it and it takes a little work to understand it but then it's then it's like doing a puzzle that's actually fun or soccer growing up with my brother he's two years older two and a half years older than I am and we both you know we both wanted to play soccer and try out for the local travel team in New Hampshire and it was a really good team and like we needed to practice and my mom like helped us she she got the books and some DVDs and we would study like different drills and soccer moves like things we could learn and the Maradona and all these like fun tricks and and just like learn how to juggle a soccer ball like the basics of that learn how to dribble properly learn how to like then you practice working on speed, you practice running technique, all of those things. And it was a step-by-step like fundamentals. And we would we worked on that in the summer and then we'd go back to our team in the fall. And especially my brother's coach, he was like, okay, Taylor is the Cinderella story of soccer because he had a growth spurt the year before. He grew up foot and a half. Wow. And he literally, he like lost the ability to run. And my mom brought him back. She taught him how to run again. She got him like coordination. She like bought him a unicycle to practice balance and all of these different things like ways because his whole his whole goal was to get back on the team with his buddies. And he came back and he ended up being the fastest runner on the team. And his ball handling skills were like light years improved from what they were. And his coach was like, this isn't this is unbelievable. I've never seen something like this happen when a kid grows a foot and a half and it takes longer to get your coordination back than that. And my mom's like, yeah, well, that's what happens when you like work at it. Sure. But it was all fun stuff too. And like all summer long, Taylor and I would just play soccer together. And 
And with skiing, it's the same. I mean, it's all like you learn the different skills and the fundamentals and tennis too. Tennis something we love. And it's so much fun to do it when you're playing well. And it yes. actually stinks when you're not playing well. So that's kind of our, that's like a little bit of a family philosophy. And my mom just happens to be like the greatest teacher that I know. She just knows how to break down movements and explain it in a way that makes sense that people can learn. Like Taylor and I have a joke that she will see somebody struggling on the ski hill and someone we don't know, just like someone, a public, just skiing. She'll see them struggling, can't make it down a trail, and she'll go over to them and help them. And it's like five, it's like the five minute crash course in how to become a World Cup skier. And by the end of that literal five minutes getting down to the bottom of the trail, they're arcing turns and like enjoying it. And we're like, this is literally the difference between people doing the sport and not doing the sport because it's brutal if you can't make it down the hill. And it is so fun if you know how to like carve some turns and you can get down. And that's like the motto of life. Kind mm. of. What did she teach you during those, that season or seasons of high pressure with the media or not winning as fast or yeah. losing every once in a while? What did she teach you about managing stress, anxiety, overwhelm, and that psychological pressure? Well, she actually encouraged me to start talking to a sports psychologist. And she set me up with somebody that we knew, actually a family friend, but also a psychologist. And she... Like for a long time, I felt like I don't need a, a sports psychologist because I am actually very mentally stable and... And you're winning. And I'm winning and I'm strong. And I just, I've never felt pressure. I, not never, but I didn't, pressure wasn't something, like I didn't really get nervous for the first bunch of years in my career. And... You were just having fun. I was just having fun. Even at the Olympics and the Sochi Olympics and standing at the start for the gold medal run. I was not nervous. Part of that, my, I was pretty sick, so it might have been a little bit distraction, but I was just like pretty, not even confident, just like at peace. Really? Yeah. And then I got into a phase where I got really nervous. I didn't know how to handle it. And my mom, she'd, she'd help me focus on things that were in my control. Like she'd help me focus on skiing, the skiing, the technical aspects and just things that I can control I could control. Um as opposed to media or conversations yeah, or other athletes or or just like the the random blips and thoughts that you get in your uh, head throughout a race day. You know, race day is it's wild actually in, in ski racing especially. It's it's a nine to ten hour day from the time you get out of bed to the time you get back to your hotel room after the race is over. And during that period of time, you have two minute long intervals that are actually important. And the rest hours, of it yeah. in 10 hours, the rest of it is sort of inconsequential, but also very important. But those two minutes, you need to be on and good. And it's like, sometimes you're like, how do I manage this? And your mind goes everywhere. How do you prepare for this? How do you prepare for it? How do you get through it? You literally, your brain is like the thoughts that run through my head on a race day. It's like, I don't know how to ski this. Well, I don't, 
I don't know, the combination in a slalom course, like this flush or I in a downhill. Oh my gosh. Downhill is crazy. My mind goes totally wild because you're, you're going like something between 60 to 80 um, at any given moment. And then you're going off these jumps and some of them carry pretty far. Like women's races are typically around 20 to 40 meters, but there are some jumps where like I've gone 50, 55 meters and I, ever since I was little, I had a kind of scary accident going off of a jump. And ever since then, I have like recurring images of myself falling off of a jump, like crashing backwards, hitting my head, helmet flies off, like my limbs are flinging around. And that is in a downhill without fail. When I see a jump, I'm like, I know that's not going to happen because I know what the technique needs to be. I'm solid in the air, but I have to like breathe and like focus myself and I'll literally be in the course racing it skiing up to the jump imagining myself messing it up really until the moment I go off and I'm like no now we're never <laughs> like you better wow. do it right yeah what is the, the sports psychologist taught you about how to not fully eliminate the memory of pain from the past of falling or potentially falling or whatever it might be but how to know that's happened before so you're not reckless, but yeah. also be at peace knowing you've mastered skills to be prepared for this moment. Yeah. Um, well, now I've worked with, since since that first, that first season where I started working with a sports psychologist, I've now worked with several different psychologists, a couple different sports psychologists, and now actually just like a clinical overall psychologist. And... Um, how helpful has that been? It's been really, it's been huge. And a lot of it was like learning things about myself that almost maybe got hidden over the years. Maybe I started to shift my focus from the things that were important to me to the things that seemed important to everyone else and just finding a balance because both actually, I feel like both things are important. A lot of times we talk this day and age about self-care self-love and like just just placing emphasis on what's important to you but if there's people around you that you love it's okay if their opinions matter to you as well it's just like find the balance between what seems like it should be a priority and you should prioritize yourself but that doesn't mean that you discount what everyone else is saying it's just like Take it all with a grain of salt. Do your own personal weighing situation and come out with like come to your conclusion based off what you think is most important. But I didn't like I didn't necessarily have the balance at that time. So with my first sports psychologist, we we worked on finding a balance of what's like important to me versus what's important to the media or how like I started doing some media prep questions like we would figure out what people might say that would trigger me and give me that it's not just like it's not just puking it's it's feeling like you're choking that's what it is it like triggers not that anyone wants to know this but it triggers a gag reflex but it literally feels like the collar of your shirt is too tight and you just you have this pressure point right here like your food stuck in your throat and that just like that triggers it will make you throw up yeah and and you were trying to figure out what's causing that choking. I'm like, feeling. why do I feel like some like the like something's closing in on my throat right now? Because there's literally like 
if you see me in the start, it still happens sometimes, but it doesn't scare me anymore. Like if I pull down my my race suit, sometimes it feels like it's right there in my throat and I'll take my fingers and I'll just pull down my race suit like this. And that's normally like that's normally a sign that I'm feeling nervous, but I don't mind it. I'm not it doesn't necessarily trigger like me to go off on the side and like puke or whatever. It just I'm just like, oh, I need a little space in my throat and it's I'm comfortable in that space now. But it took me like multiple psychologists to get to the level, like the last one I worked with, actually heading into the most recent Olympics, we were talking a lot about being comfortable um, or getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And you are likely to be uncomfortable when you don't know what the outcome of something is going to be. Right. And you're not in control. You're not in control and you want to be in control. And that was a really like that's how I always used to I didn't care what the outcome was I really cared how I got there and then we'll figure it out like when I cross the finish line then we'll see if I if it was good enough to win or not and why do you care more now then than you did then uh I wouldn't I actually think I'm I've sort of come full circle a little bit now I almost it's almost like when I was first starting out um and some of that probably has to do with this season and the record kind of because like basically I this season I was like I don't actually I never felt like I should have been any the person who was close to resetting this record I didn't it, it wasn't a goal it wasn't on my radar actually ever like I watched like Lindsay do that, get there. And I was like, that's happening for her. And I never, ever, it, I never, ever thought that I would be that one. Um, So even getting that close this season, I was almost like, didn't want it to happen. I almost wanted Ingemar to stay the record holder for all of eternity. Why? Why did you not want to break the record? I just like, <laughs> uh, why did you want to diminish your own greatness? Well, I don't know. I, I I guess I just felt like if it happened, then, well, <laughs> if ever if it happened, everybody would start calling me the greatest of all time. And I don't see myself that way. And it's like I do struggle a little bit when the world puts a label that doesn't coincide with my label for myself. So I'm like, How I'm do you just label here. Yourself? I don't even know. I don't Michaela Schifrin, like. I got a name. <laughs> I don't know. I just, the goat term is just like weird to me. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like there's more than one. And the, the, the term itself, it implies that there's only one, but there are more than one. Like people will debate LeBron James, Michael Jordan, like any of the others for the rest of eternity. And I think that's good. I think that's a beautiful thing about sports and, and skiing. I hope that people debate, you know, I'm part of the conversation like that in and of itself is enough of a win for me but I hope you will debate it for the rest of all time like I hope it's part of the conversation that two American women are at the top of the conversation for greatest of all time like that's really cool that's really cool for American ski racing for our for our sport for lifting the sport up in the U.S. Um, and I don't want to take that title. Like I want it to be the conversation because the conver- the conversation means people are talking about it and tr- and interested. And 
and I like I just don't see myself taking that over and I want Ingemar like I want him to be the legend that that never like his name never ever disappears from the sport because he he set the sport on the trajectory 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 it is so there's all these reasons why I like was sort of conflicted about that yeah. but in the end of the day I just felt like well I'm not retiring I'm doing well at this right now if I keep skiing if I keep skiing this way I probably will break the record realistically right. break probably reset I don't like the break term either mm. <laughs> reset the not, record not in skiing you know what I said break no, and skiing. break um so realistically it was going to happen so it was like whatever it'll happen when it happens and just like letting that go and just not caring about it it was like the beginning of my career when I sort of was just interested in finding out what my potential was right less pressure and seeing mm -hmm. what you're capable of in yeah. the race how old are you now 28 is that right 20? 28 28 yes, no spring chicken 20 shoot man I just I just turned 40 so I'm trying to get back into college shape right now. I'm training like a machine. <laughs> I think you're doing okay. You know, I uh, appreciate it. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious, um, 28, the most accomplished ski racer in the world, or one of the most, um, what is your biggest fear moving forward in your career and also in your personal life outside of your career? I don't really have, right now I can't really think of a fear I have in my career. Maybe the only thing might be like injury. Yeah. Which has just always been that's always there. Yeah. I definitely like I'm afraid I do get afraid when I'm skiing. A lot of a lot of racers will say they don't have any fear. And I definitely do. Yeah. I think it's fine. Crashing at sixty miles an hour is not it's fun. Not, it's not Even fun. If you got a helmet on, it's, it's not fun. Not fun. And some would argue you have to you can't have fear because you have to be willing to do that. And I'm like, well, I'm still afraid of doing that, but I'm going to do this anyway. Yeah. So I think there's all different ways you can approach that. You don't let the fear hold you back. I, yeah, but I definitely have it. And I think it's, I do think it's important to admit when, to admit when you have fear to yourself, because it's kind of like, it's like a relationship and you're like, I gotta, I gotta let you know that I'm feeling this right now. And, and then you still, you still go for it. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, that's a different side of things. Um, Probably, I, I think I'm probably going to know a little bit more about what I'm afraid of once we get back into the race season. There's things pop up that I, right now, I don't feel it. I maybe feel a little bit on top of the world. This past season was amazing. I have nothing else that I expect to do, but I'm still like, I'm still training. I still feel like I'm doing great with my skiing and I feel like people have figured out that expectations are sort of meaningless because I've done I've exceeded them I've failed miserably the only thing I can really think of that would be a fear of mine is like how it goes in the upcoming Spectrum One is a big deal you get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included all while saving big for the big speed big reliability and big savings you want get Spectrum One just $49.99 a month for 12 months visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Olympics. And mostly, if I were to 
not win any medals again, how would people react again? But I actually asked somebody, kind of an advisor and one of uh, one of my sponsors recently. And he, I just was like, this is, this is a real thing. Like, I'm afraid to hype myself up going into this next Olympics or allow anybody else to hype me up because I, like, what if it happens again? And Beijing was a very, like, a standalone event. There, it was very unique with conditions. There were a lot of things there, like COVID. There were just a lot of things that built up prior to the games and during the games that, it's like it wasn't even not it was fully against me in a way but everybody has to deal with something that's against them and some people made it anyway and I didn't so there's that but I still feel like I don't know the cards could stack up that way again and I could do my best and it still might it still might not work out and I'm not afraid to try but I have a little bit of a like what are people going to say then? Because now people still say, you know, like record schmeckered, you don't have any gold medals. I'm like, I actually, well, we talked about this before. Yeah. I feel the need to defend it. I'm like, I actually do. I have Olympic gold medals and I have many world championship gold medals. So like, you don't know what you're talking about, but that's like. So you're, you have a fear of when is the next Olympics? 2026. So, what are we, three years away? Three years away. Roughly three years yeah. away. Your fear is in three years. In three years. What happens? What might happen? If I don't win a medal what? or if yeah. I'm not a gold medalist again, yeah. uh, what will people say about me? Yeah. That's your... A little, maybe a little bit. How is that serving and supporting you in your life right now? Just kind of exists. It's like, it doesn't have any impact on how I feel for this coming season and this past season helped me a lot because I did get I did win world champs medals and it was sort of like is it a big event thing is it a karma thing is it like what what is it about this and there was a lot of there was a lot of kind of drama surrounding this past world championship so it was just like can she do it yeah yeah. and um some did it yeah, and it were it was like boiled down to how I skied, but I almost like the the first race I did the 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 combined event, like I was skiing great, and I skied off the course. I DNF'd again, um, three gates from the finish, and there was like there is a reason we don't have to get into it now, but it was like oh my gosh, it's happening again. I had a great run, and then I just all I needed to do was make it past the last two gates. It's just. But you were leading. I was leading. It would have like for sure if I made it to the finish, it would have been a win. But it wasn't because I didn't make wow. it. Was and that a mental error in the moment? No, was it a? It was actually. Well, it was a little bit of a mental error, but it was actually there was a there was a section of the course that it was literally the last two gates of the course that was prepared differently because of the way the sunlight struck the hill, but also because they moved the finish line down from the earlier run so it was like soft snow for the last two gates of the course and i saw that and i didn't mentally i didn't adjust to it so it was a little bit it was a little bit mental for sure i could have done that differently and made it to the finish but i did i was just like full gas and i didn't adjust 
I want to ask you a few final questions. This is, I could do this conversation for hours with Michaela. This is inspiring for me. I love talking to athletes who excel at the highest level. Um, so it's really cool to hear your perspective and your, your thought process on performing, training, coaching, failure, success, all these things. How do you visualize for success? I know you mentioned early on that you like, you don't really think about winning. You think about the next turn and really the whole course and the process of the course and getting through it. But do you dream and visualize about success the day before, the night before, months before a big event? How does that process work for you? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a little bit multifaceted. Like I, w I will visualize myself winning a race and like standing on the podium and the festivities after. I will visualize that, but that's more like I, that's more in the downtime when I'm daydreaming, when I'm training in the gym and I want to like, I need one more set and I'm like, oh, this is killing me. And that's kind of like. You think of that. Yeah. yeah I kind of, that kind of helps me a little bit in those situations. Um but then there's a visualization, like actual technical imagery of my of my skiing. And that I do almost every day. I think about skiing. I dream about skiing. And it's it's literally just dreaming about the way that I want to ski my turns that I think is the fastest way to do it. And when I'm actually like right now is sort of the off season. It's a lot more training in the gym. So I'm I haven't been on snow since end of, uh, the end of May. And so right now I'm maybe not thinking about it as much, but I'll be on the snow on snow again at the end of the month, at the end of July. And as I get closer to that, I'm going to like, I'm going to pull up videos and watch my skiing image and look at some of my races from last season, especially the races that I didn't win to see, like maybe watch the, whoever won those races and see what they might've done better. Um, and see what I can focus on for these upcoming camps as we wow. get closer to the season. Where's the snow in July? Uh, I'm going to man this. There's snow um, there now? Yeah, there is snow Holy there. Holy cow. There's snow there now. Um, I was like, end of July, there's snow somewhere. I know. Well, it's just mostly oh, I gotta because- I got to get up there. It's mostly because the, the West Coast got so much snow this winter. Sure, Normally, sure. it wouldn't be good at this time, but I think- I think it's really good. But then otherwise, we'll go to Chile in September. Oh, that'd be cool. That was a good time. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, this is a question I ask everyone towards the end of my interviews. It's called the three truths. So you're 28, but let's imagine you get to live as long as you want to live in this world. Oh, you get gosh. to extend your life as long as you want to live. And you get to accomplish and experience all the things you want to experience in life from skiing to whatever activities you do after skiing to life to family whatever any dreams you have you get to have them come true but for whatever reason you can't leave anything behind no one can watch the races you've done or any content you've made you've got a youtube channel which is really great i want people to watch that behind, <laughs> behind the scenes but all the things you've created this interview is gone um hypothetically it's all gone but you get to leave behind three lessons you would leave with the world from your life experience Three things that you know to be true that feel good to you. What would be those three truths or lessons you would share with people? I think um, that it's some, I'm not sure who said this, but failure isn't final. That would be one thing. 
um, and that it can actually be a lesson to help you succeed. Um, two would be everybody needs to compromise sometime. Compromise is part of life and love and relationships. Um, I feel like never forget where you're from is just like your roots and your upbringing and the life that brought you to where you are. Because there's, there's lessons in there and hidden lessons that you'll be learning for the rest of time. I feel like the first like eight years of life probably taught you everything you need to know, but you just didn't know it then. Those are beautiful. How can we be of support and service to you? Oh goodness. <laughs> You're on you've got a, you know, massive following on social media and I see on Instagram, I see you on the threads lately. <laughs> threads, yeah. Connected threads with you on the threads. I'm a uh you're on you Jerry's out on threads. You got your you got your YouTube channel, which is you know, showing really vlogs behind the scenes of your life in between the slopes, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Uh, which will have all this linked up for people in the episode. But how can we be of support to you? in this season of life. Oh my goodness. Um, You're up for a couple ESPYs. Up for a couple ESPYs. This will come out after the ESPYs, so we're putting the intention out of good things to happen for you. I mean, it's maybe less just for me, but ski racing is something I'm clearly passionate about. It's an incredible sport, but skiing in general. And there's so much about the snow sports that's so beautiful, incredible. The community, the 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 family the the friendships you make along the way and i always i always wish that i like i know so many incredible athletes and people who love skiing love snowboarding love love snow love snow sports and i'm like just say it tell people spread the word cuz it is maybe a little bit selfish that i I want people to do it because I wanted to have a future. And there's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot more we didn't get into about climate and everything. But um, if it's a necessity for humans, we'll find a way to make it environmentally, like, forward-thinking, progressive, and friendly. And and I want it to be something that people care about. And I feel like that comes with a spark from people talking about it so mostly what you've already done bringing me on the show and talking yeah that's that's actually that's actually support enough of course for me personally but for skiing go ski and snowboard just try it i'm a big snowboarder i haven't done it in the last couple of years but i want hearing about going to mammoth makes me want to go now this this so (laughs) if you ever do like a uh a weekend camp, you know. I in know. The yeah, we should do it. Let me know and invite me and my girlfriend. We'll come up and oh, that would be so fun. Spread the message of skiing to yeah. the world. So. I need to think about that. Yeah, you should actually. put on your own kind of like weekend adventure for yeah. for people. So oh, that would be great. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, well, I want to acknowledge you, Michaela, for your courage because I think the courage to say that you aren't that confident in certain areas of your life, I think, is really inspiring because I think a lot of people look at you and think. She wins constantly by large <laughs> gaps, uh, and she's won all these medals, and she's the most winningest, you know, skier of all time, and all these things. And thinking you have this confidence in you, which I know you do, but I hear you saying that you don't in certain settings of life. 
And so I really acknowledge you for having the courage to talk about that and also giving language to what it means to be great at something you do. You can still be nervous. You can still be insecure, but having the courage and trying and doing it to the best of your ability is what it's really all about. Yeah. And so you've embodied that for really the last, I guess, 10, 12 years since you've been on the scene of skiing and really putting yourself out there. So I acknowledge you for your courage and your your confidence, which you're very confident to me. So <laughs> Thank you. I acknowledge you for that, Michaela. My final question is, what is your definition of greatness? I think greatness is the feeling that you get when you do or experience or watch something that gives you the shivers down your spine, the sort of inspiration, just the feeling like, I can't believe I'm part of this moment. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me, as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com slash newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and not a yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.